Thank you. All right, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and pray and ask God to, uh, to touch us by the power of the Holy Spirit, be it the truth of his word. Father, in Jesus' name, we once again, we surrender to you. We open our hearts before you. We ask you that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will touch everything that we are, our emotion, our minds, our hearts, our way of thinking, Lord, by the truth of your word, Father, because it is the only thing that will change us, transform our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's so good. One, one, one good thing about going away is it's good to be back. <laughs> um, I would like us to... Uh, Go to Second Corinthians chapter three. I'd like to read from verse four, just to give you the context of the passage. Paul is as in, in this passage he's celebrating the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the congregation of the Church of Corinth. He the work of the Holy Spirit, and he, the way he celebrated, he, he said, listen. And in the context of, of the culture of the time, you know, especially in, in the, within the Greek culture, the Greek world, there are many professional philosophers and even gospel preachers who are professional in their presentation, very eloquent and very skillful in, in, in how they preach, how they present the gospel. And in, in his first letter to the Corinthians, he said, listen, when I preach the gospel, I don't use, you know, men's eloquent way of, of doing things. But I present to you the foolishness, like touched by uh, Dave before, the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. Because within that foolishness, it looks foolish. That in itself is, it gives the power for the gospel to separate the two groups of people. One, those who are perishing, and those who are being saved. And so the, to the Corinthians, by the time Paul wrote his second letter, he could see the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in them. So Paul said, listen, people need letters of recommendation, because all these people, these professional speakers, Christian and non-Christians, philosophers, they, they need letters of recommendation, and that they carried letters of recommendation to, to wherever they, go, they, they went to preach, and, uh, and, and not only that, they pay a high fee to preach in, in, in a particular place. And people take delight. This is the culture of the time. The, the, the more they pay, the more expensive it is, they feel like they get something really good. You know, like today, you know, if you think if you buy an expensive car, that's a good car. <laughs> And that's what happened in, in, the, in, in Corinth. So, uh, so amongst all these, these uh, professional speakers, motivational speakers, some of them preach the gospel, and he comes a tradie, a tent maker. Preach very simple message. A tradie. Not only he... Uh, you know, those guys, they, they preach the gospel and, and pay, pay, people pay very high fee. Paul preached the gospel 
without any cost, no fee. He preached the gospel for free. As a matter of fact, if you look at the background of the Corinthians, it was an offense to them because, what? You mean you don't charge us? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I work hard to pay myself. And that's why I can preach to you for free. And then in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, some people need letter of recommendation. But let me say this concerning you guys. When I see in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, when I see the work of the Holy Spirit, the result of what God has done through my preaching, through my ministry, the change, the transformation that happened in your life, he said, that's my business card. <laughs> I don't need letter of recommendation. That's my business card. Then it's make, it makes sense now. Let's read verse 4. He said, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient or complete or adequate to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I really want you to underline that. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The title of my sermon this morning is Becoming Ministers That Give Life. The function of any church, any church, not just member life, any church, it's not about having the best music group that can compete with the world. It's not having the sleekest organization that we can compete with any business organization. It's about producing ministers that know what it means to give life to people. To birth life to people. That's what we are all about. I, uh, while we were away, I received an email from, from the leader of, our, of our, our, our movement, our denomination, if you, if you can call it, Australian Christian Churches. And obviously, he, you know, in his email, he commented about the result of the, uh, the, the uh, election that we went through. And uh, I was quite, you know, actually I was quite blessed by, by the, some of the statements. I'm going to read it to you. So in this statement, his email, he, uh, he wants to encourage the, the pastors of Australian Christian churches, number one, to pray. According to 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I urge you then, first of all, petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made to all people or for all people, for kings and those who are in authority, that we may, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Why? Because he wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and to be saved. 
So he, uh, the, the guy, the, the name of our leader, national leader is uh, Wayne Alcorn, so he wrote this. And I love that. And then he, he underlined, he said, we need to pray because they, there is so much in, 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 in this is his writing, there is so much in our nation. And I like this comment. He said, political reform is not our prim- primary focus, but spiritual awakening is. I think that is a very important point. And then, in saying that, he said, there are matters that we should be prayerful. Number one, on sanctity of life. Number two, on human rights and religi- uh, religious freedoms. He said, let's continue to pray for the unity of the church. And point, point number two, he said, he encouraged us to walk in humility. Now, he, he mentioned this because he, realizing that the majority of the ACC uh, people, congregation, would vote for, for a liberal party. So he, uh, he wrote this. He said, for many of us who voted for Prime Minister Scott Morrison, let us remain humble and follow the instru- instruction to continue praying for him. And then, and then he said, you know, this is not the time to, uh, what's, what's the word, to, to gloat. It's time to continue praying and stay focused. And the next thing he said, keep, keep Jesus at the center of our attention. And I think that's very important because, put it this way, God is not right wing, neither is he left wing. He is upward wing, <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. <laughs> You can be in a communist party and be a godly man and influence people around there. And I want to touch something here that, that, is, that is concerning to, I believe, to, even to me. He, that he mentioned, he said, there's, there's so much in our nation. Political reform is not our primary focus, but spiritual awakening. And he said, in saying that, there are matters that we should be prayerful on, number one, sanctity of life and human rights, I think. Now, here's the thing. We can pray, we can, we can do all those things, but I think it is time for Christians to be intelligent believers and to know exactly what is the problem at hand and how do we tackle this problem. Sanctity of life and human rights is kind of you know it's in mesh together because when you as you tackle tackle them it's pretty much it's a one one problem with two sides of the coin sort of thing you know to so uh, I think I'd like to to talk about this idea of sanctity of life and I want to present to you guys as we want to you know think intelligently as believers, how do we stay relevant in, the, in this society with these issues and how do we, do we deal with this issue? We need to understand first the core issue at hand here. First, let's t- tackle this, this idea, this issue of sanctity of life. As a matter of fact, you know, Australia, when it comes to this issue, we're actually doing pretty well concerning the sanctity of life. We've got good record. I want to tackle from, from, uh, from uh, one side of it. The history of Australia concerning the you know, sanctity of life. Nobody has been executed 
in Australia since the 3rd of February 1967. In other words, from the, that was the last person in the 3rd of February 1967 that suffered death sentence or, or capital punishment. Since 1973, and the passage of the Death Penalty Act in 1973, the death penalty has not been applied in respect of offenses under the law of the Commonwealth and the territories. And Queensland was the first to abolish this in 1922, and followed by New South Wales. You know, the record is pretty good. We're good as a country. New South Wales was the last one in 1985. And as a matter of fact, in uh, the 2nd of October 1990, Australia confirmed at the international level its opposition to death penalty. That's pretty good. Very good. So what the the implication is this doesn't matter you know so people doesn't matter what what crime they've committed whatever it is they're not gonna die so the implication is this as if there is an understanding within the Australian community that doesn't matter how bad a person is as long as he is still alive there's always potential for him or her to change for the better I think that's a thought behind that. If there is life, there is potential. I think that's good. So we, you know, you, you talk about rapists, murderers, you know, all those guys. They are convicted, but they're not going to die because somehow, maybe just at some point, they might change. As long as there is life, there is potential. That's great, isn't it? But here's the problem. On that end, yes. But somehow we've missed it on this end. On the other end of life. We made room for criminals such as murderers, robbers, rapists, and the rest. Because as long as there is life, there is potential, yes. Yet, let me say this, yet to the innocents who came to this world not of their own choices, but others, I'm speaking on human terms, yet there is life in them, full of life. Somehow, as a society, we think we can decide whether or not there is room for them or not. That is the issue that I think, as a church, we need to stand up for. Are you guys getting what I'm saying here? We spend so much time fighting for this side of, of, of life, but not the other. The result, because of this issue now, in, in the, especially in the Western society, we've got these two major groups in, a, uh, in opposition. One called the pro-choice and the other one is pro-life. The pro-choice people would, would say, it is my body, my belly. And as a matter of fact, I heard you know, in, in, on, in, in American TV, this, this lady, she was like a prominent lady. 
she said, my, cho- uh, my body, my belly, and she used another word, which is, I won't pronounce it here. And uh, it is my choice and my right to choose what to do with it. So uh, that's my right. I can choose. And that is true. Everybody has their own choice. But when you carry a life in your body, is it your, your right to choose at the expense of the other life? That's what we need to ask the question. Is it my right to choose? Is it, you know, just like people, you know, in the world, you know, I live my life in the pursuit of happiness. Yes, that's fine, but not at the expense of other people. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, the call for discipleship is like, I live my life in the pursuit of whatever God wants me to do, but also I live my life not at the expense of others, but for the sake of others. That's the Christian belief system. And uh, so, and the other side, now we've got pro-life, the church, because most of them are from the church, Christians. I remember in, in the early 80s when the whole abortion thing was, was really hot. I remember as a young, young guy, we, we were militant about, about these whole things, like, and we, we uh, I, I, never, I never went, but some of my friends in the church, in the church would, would go to an abortion clinic and picket, you know, they picketed in an abortion clinic to protest because they're pro-life. And uh, while we were in America, we, we, we watched TV. Alabama, the state of Alabama in, in USA, in America, just passed an anti-abortion law where any doctor perform abortion can go to prison for something like 90 years. It's crazy. And of course, the reaction was like, whoa. What do we do with this? Okay, where do we stand? What is right? You know, I think we have to think about this stuff. Okay, let me, let, me, let me say this. We go to, you know, like, uh, you know, looking back now, I thought, man, those people who, who actually picketing at the abortion clinic, don't they realize that sometimes some of those people who, who actually go to abortion clinic, maybe they don't want to do it, but they, the situation, I don't know, forced them to do it. What if the person... That, that lady was pregnant because she was right by somebody. You know? Now, I'm not saying I'm pro-abortion. I'm not saying I'm just, but something, we, before we do anything as Christians, we need to think. What if that person was right by somebody and she's underage, for example? <laughs> I'm not presenting all, all, of you, all these things for you to think about. The problem is this, is the problem with the law. I want to say this about the law. 
Calvin, who is the father of Reformed theology, Reformed theologians, he commented about the law. He said, the law is the reflection of the truth of God's character or holiness in all its perfection. Which is true. But here's the, the problem. God, in all his nature, in his, in his holiness, we're trying to bring it down to our limited language that we will never be able to describe who God is. And, and then the minute this truth, it is written in black and white, it is then subject to human interpretation and manipulation to a certain extent. That's the, the problem with the law. Problem number two, the law doesn't change anybody. As a matter of fact, Paul describes the law actually stirs up sins in us. It awakens sin. Just to give you a, a, a simple example. When you go walk into an office or into, into a room or in, a, in an office, and then they said, wet pen, don't touch. What would be the first thing you want to do? It's like, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we do, right? Because the law does that. It awakens something in us. It doesn't change us inwardly. And it doesn't produce life. It doesn't. How do we respond in this situation? And we need to think about all this stuff. Is that passage that I just read before? The work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that Paul has so much confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit. He said, and as a minister of a new covenant, that's what I do. To preach the gospel and see the work of the Holy Spirit and see how it produces life in the life of the people. That's what I do. That's all I do. As a matter of fact, he said, and he, then he, and he closes that, that statement. He said, you know why I focus on, on the life of the Holy Spirit? Because the letter of the law kills. But the Spirit gives life. Let's read further. And he explains how the Spirit gives life. We're going to jump in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. He's talking about the Jews. This is what the Jews live their life in. They, they love the law. They, the, the written law is very important to them. So they are bound by it. But the problem is it, with the absence of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the law doesn't do any good. And verse 14, he said, But their minds were made dull. For to this day the same veil remained when the old covenant or the law is read, it has not been removed, because, the veil has not been removed because only in Christ is that veil taken away. You need to underline that. Only, everybody say only. Only in Christ is that veil taken away. And in verse 15, listen to this. Even to, the, to this day, when Moses means the law, what Moses written is right. A veil covers their hearts. In other words, the truth will never penetrate them in black and white. 
This is, this is the good news, verse 16. Let's read together. Let's, listen, let's read it. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Many of our actions and our exercise in ministry to the people in the world with no relationship with Jesus, we try to fix this. We try to do this, we call it behavior, behavior modifications. Like somehow if I can do this, maybe I can take away the, the, the veil from your eyes so that you can see Jesus. We try to argue our way into people's lives and, and their situation. Somehow by doing that, maybe they can understand and now they can, can see Jesus. But according to that passage, he said, no, 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 no. Get them to know Jesus and Jesus will remove that veil. We get it the wrong way. Because he says only Jesus can do that. And he said, anyone who turns to Jesus, that veil is removed. And we spend years of trying to argue and counter-argue with people, thinking that somehow, somehow we might be able to remove the veil. No, Paul said, that veil can only be removed as they turn to Jesus. We can't fix people's problems. Only Jesus can. So guess what? Take them to Jesus. And while they're, not, while they're not going to Jesus, maybe we can be Jesus to them. Just love them. Come on. Like somebody once said, I think, yeah, I mentioned it to you. What's his name? Uh, Tim Costello. Unfortunately, Christians are known for what we are against than what we are for. We are for the Lord and people. Yeah. We are for the Lord and people. As I listened to the testimony, I thought, wow. Your story, Sandra's story, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not because of my preaching. It's not because, you know, we just, we're just the conduit. It's like, really? And the world will try to, to fix people. They use drugs. They use whatever, you know. But let's take people to the author of life. And then he will give life to the people who are dying. That will change our approach to people. And as a matter of fact, will change our language of what discipleship is. Discipleship is not limited to, you know, now that you believe, believe in Jesus, I can disciple you. No, that's not true. If you don't believe in Jesus, I can still disciple you by being kind to you and somehow guide you to that person, Jesus. You know, I can do that. You can do that. Just try. Just try. Just go ahead, go ahead and step out. Be kind to people and let them see the goodness of God and goodness of Jesus 
ini. So here's the thing. We're not trying to make member life attractive, but we, you know, really, the Bible is trying to make you as individuals attractive to the world and become the attraction for the world to come to you. Of course, we, we believe in, in the church as community, but as an institution, I have no power to, to change people's life. I mean, not the institution, but the work of Jesus in you, when your, when your friends start to see there's something different about you. What is it? We just keep being kind to them. So it's not political reform that we need. It's spiritual awakening that we need. Unfortunately, people in the world and the church to, to a certain extent, we're, we're, we're looking for some kind of system. If only, you know, if the, if the government makes this law, then it'll fix us. No, it doesn't. As a matter of fact, he talked, you know, when Wayne uh, wrote about, you know, uh, freedom of speech, even that, it doesn't worry me. You know, if I preach like this, that Jesus is the only way already, that is not a, a politically correct sort of belief system. There's no other way. Jesus is it. If one day they said, no, you can't say that, I'm going to keep saying it. You put me to jail, fine. Take, take away the freedom of speech, I'm still going to speak the truth about Jesus, who Jesus is. You know what I'm saying? That's not my fight. My fight is, no, I want to be a life-giving force to the people around me. It's like, you want to arrest me for saying about Jesus? Fine. I can start a ministry in the prison. You're not going to stop the gospel. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Who can stop the, 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 the life of God if we have it in us? We can't trust system. We can't trust the government. No, 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 no. We only have the gospel. And Jesus, God demands us to be that life-giving source to the world. Let's all stand up. Can I have the measles, please?